0: If we all allow ourselves to feel the unconscious, divine, kinky pleasure we've been suppressing, then we are left with just our intelligence to guide our decisions. And that's great. Your own intelligence and consciously chosen principles are a much better ethical compass than your reactive feelings of guilt. Carolyn Elliott from Existential Kink, Unmask Your Shadow and Embrace Your Power. Welcome to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. I'm Alexis, your new witchy fan. I'm known as Osteria in witch circles. I'm a photographer by day and star-obsessed urban witch by night, sometimes the opposite, often both at once. And I'm as star-obsessed as Natskis Shinomiya in Utapri. Or, just a warning, there would be loads of otaku references. I'm a Capricorn Sun, Scorpio Moon, and Scorpio Rising, probably a Lyran star seed, a tarot lover, and all of my lipsticks have a spell on them. I started this podcast to share my passion and the empowerment and self-love that Cosmic Witchcraft brought into my life. Come every Thursday for captivating conversations about life, business, and magic that blend the practical with the woo. I bring you all our history geeks, solo episodes, and amazing guests to explore the ways in which we can bring more enchantment into our lives. Ready to live life limitless? Then let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back for another episode of the Starry Sky Podcast. We are on the last quote-unquote true episode of season 2, on the theme of walking with light and shadow. Next week I have a bridge episode where I'll answer any questions that I've got from you and introduce the topic of season 3. Oh, and we'll talk about asteroids, I already announced that, I nearly forgot. Also please indulge me for a second on more housekeeping, I realise I have messed up big time! With the end of season two, so first of all, I'm so sorry and thank you for bearing with me. I will be fixing the episode for season two in the near future, but it's sort of for season three. Again, thank you for your support as I learn the ropes of podcasting. Now on to today's topic. If you've been around here before, you'll know by now that I take a magical view of life. I don't care that synchronicity are just my brain being primed to spot patterns. I think that's an incredible feature we have. I also love the potential to dive deeper into things that comes from finding more and more connections. One thing that inspired me lately was reading Existential King* by Dr. Caroline Elliott. I'm sad that she isn't taking interviews at this time because she is busy with some awesome stuff she's working on, but it's out there for the universe to deliver. If that episode is to happen, it will not bypass me, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, I love shadow work, and I'm excited to talk to you about this specific method of going about it. The reason I did not choose to just skip the episode and wait to see whether I can have Dr Elliot come on herself is that it ties in well with the topic for Season 3. Since I don't want to give away too much about the book and the method itself, it will be an episode about my personal experience. It also discusses some adult themes and religious trauma, so this is your trigger warning. I will do the card of the week and astrological forecast beforehand so that if that's not something you're up for today, you can then stop the episode after the next segment and come back whenever you are in a good space for sex and king talk and I'll talk to you next week. A card for this week is the Five of Wands. I'm fairly sure that we pulled it recently, but I pulled so many cards for myself, I may be wrong. In my deck, it shows a young man looking out towards the sky at dawn, with the orange clouds at the horizon, and a clear blue sky that's increasingly lighter at the top. What looks like white petals of some kind are flying in the wind at the top of the card. The young man is holding two of the wands, while the other three come in from two or three people that are at the sides. We only see their hands on the wands, which cross each other like it's the three musketeers pledging loyalty. And I guess that's the whole all-for-one-and-one-for-all one one all vibe that's what was intended. It's a card in the suit to do with creativity and willpower, and often associated with work even though to me that's more of a pentacle thing, but then again all of the suits apply to all faces of life. Once this fire energy, which is an interesting energy for the week that Mars enters into Leo. Just this morning we have the last two transit I mentioned in the previous episode, Jupiter square in Pluto and sunset style Neptune, or have had depending on what time you listen to these. On the 19th tomorrow, Mercury, who's now back direct, will be in a set style with Saturn. She's a good time to schedule in a deep-walk session to catch up with the big-picture tasks that don't always get done in a timely manner. On the 20th we have the big Mars shift that I just mentioned at 5.32pm Central European Time. It's time to enter our Orozama era. At least, those of us who don't live in that energy like, I don't know, 29 degrees Leo mid-heaven people. I'm sure you know someone. Anyway, 20 minutes shy of 12 hours later, on the 21st, Mars will be opposite Pluto, which is a good time to schedule some inner work and prepare for manifesting big things with Jupiter in Taurus for the next year. And 909 CET we will have the Sun entering Gemini, so the teamwork angle of the five of comes back into play, as we have a Mercury rule sign that's all about communication and intellectual exchange. You can go to Witchy Musings on Substack to read my reflection on Gemini. It's Quite a busy week in the sky, still on the 21st we have the Sun trining Pluto, going exact at 3.58pm CET. Then on the 22nd at 7.56am the Sun will be in a set star with Mars, both positive aspects if you need a permission slip to remember you are awesome and to size the day from these Higher self energy. A uh, little more challenging, perhaps, is the Mars square Jupiter transit at seven twelve a.m. CET on the twenty third. It's still an overwhelmingly positive energy to embody, but also be careful not to tap into your enthusiasm for something you're passionate about so much that you become a bit rude to everyone else. That's big into me, isn't it? Anyway. Finally, a few hours before the next episode comes out, we have Venus Quaving Chiron. I'm actually glad I've been flagging it before 7am trancing the week ahead lately because this is an interesting one to mark on your calendar for shadow work around all of the Venusian themes and how that impacts your core wound. Which makes for a good segue into today's topic, just to be sure. This isn't intended as medical advice, and it may discuss sensitive topics to do with sex and BDSM and religious trauma, so listeners' discretion is advised. I have tried a lot of methods of shadow work, with relative success, getting over the lessons from Catholicism, about purity, and in general spirit over matter, was relatively easy. I struggle a bit to accept my sadistic streak, but all in all most work of integration I've done with the dark goddesses etc has made me a better person. However, there is something I really struggled to shift, especially since my biggest struggle being raised in a religion that is all about submission and glorifying suffering was to overcome my nature being very much Venusian. I'm so pain-averse it almost becomes a pain, except for this one area. I'm an overworker, overachiever and practically incapable of asking for help and delegating. And for most of my career I have sold myself on the basis that I'm very resourceful and good at making things happen without a lot to work with. Think of me like a marketing baker, with just cheap ingredients like flour, salt, water and yeast, and an oven, you can make wonderful bread creations. While everyone else was going all out with the latest tools like during the bake-off tent, I was keeping costs down and overgiving to make up for the lack of avenues for automation. Why am I shaving these? Especially since, nowadays, I make such a fuss around how I have the opposite approach. Well, because the premise of existential kink is that we find a kinky kind of pleasure in the things that our conscious mind says we don't want. And, of course, my conscious mind didn't want to have to hassle and all that. My younger self wanted to be me right now with the tonic website and automation over automation. Where was ChatGPT when I was pretty much in charge of everything for a small charity? But did I ask for what I really needed? No, of course not. I had a couple of tools at some point and then felt guilty that they went bringing many results fast and gave up on asking for the money to pay for them. So that's a pattern I carried, but I later realized not the only one. They seem disconnected and even opposite to each other, but when I was Catholic I had an easier time believing I could manifest money out of thin air. For someone so big of empowerment, that seems absurd, right? Which brings me back to existential king. It's not absurd if you think of it in the framework of sadomasochism, while sadism is significantly higher than masochism when it comes to me, my shadow has decided to experience itself in the totality of the kinky experience and cast me as both the prisoner and the executioner. So here we are, wanting a life of ease. I'm a romantic archetype. If you've ever taken Denise Duffield Thomas's quits, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I'm so flowy and love all the and Venusian themes, and I want an easy life and a lot of money, and yet kept dooming myself to repeating a pattern of scarcity-driven decision-making. And then, when I had driven myself into a corner, I was the damsel in distress, needing a benevolent sky daddy to take care of the mess. And I would pray for something, and the money would fall into my lap tightening the Stockholm Syndrome loop that holds together any dogmatic religion. I'd heard Dr Elliot on a couple of podcasts at that point, and since I was still somewhat struggling with fully breaking free of the more subtle implications of these patterns, I got an audible trial and binged the audiobook in a day. It's about six hours. Then my pattern showed up already in me trying to do the meditation from the memory of the book, even though I struggle to remember things and I get a bit obsessive about needing to do it right or I may accidentally summon a demon. That may sound facetious, but it is not. It's just me triggering some lingering remnants of my religious OCD as a Catholic. Long story short, It turns out she has a guided meditation which I linked in the show notes because this podcast is my line 3 in human design project of telling you about my mistakes so you don't have to make them yourself. But it shows you how deep stuff runs even in someone like me who has walked on herself like it's a full time job. And I still have to face stuff over and over again, like spiralic shadow work, layer, over layer, over layer, like an onion. And this specific issue around scarcity was something that I have been working on a lot. I'm sure I mentioned this before, but I have a stellium that in Placidus falls in the second house. I'm a Scorpio rising, so that makes my second house in Sag, and Joy Carter over at Astrojoy.com puts it very succinctly before I tell you what planets I have in that stellium, always expecting the best. Now, consider even just with the traditional planets I still have a stellium there because I have the Sun, Saturn and Venus. And you can see how we get to my being a stereotype of someone who enjoys life of leisure. But as I said, one such planet is Saturn, so we see also how the karmic lessons of my ancestors create tensions there. Either way, if we look at astrology as a kind of snapshot of our base personality, like we don't have a clean slate entirely, that makes our personality depend on nurture alone but we come into life with traits that develop in response to our environment. Even without taking the view of the birth chart showing also the circumstances we're born into, we still get the idea that second house themes are important in my life just because of the sheer amount of planets there and then because of what planets they are. By the way I also have the modern planets in their natural Uranus So yeah, fun. So one thing that existential kink does better than other ways to approach shadow work is that it removes the trap you can fall into of not actually looking at the shadow. It's easy not to take full responsibility for our growth and just look at the surface level bad stuff. We do the sanitized version of shadow work, thinking we are going deep. I joke about this a lot, but the fact women talk about entering their villain era because they merely stop denying their own needs, it's actually kinda sad. That's not being a villain. Come back when you're young from Pio Fiore. Rant over, but for real. To look at a shadow means to truly look at the depths of it. Not just a little bit behind the door where you can actually see stuff because the light still comes in, but it looks grey because it's dark enough. You've got to go down to hell and back, or the non-Christianized underworld. Pick your metaphor and run with it. So, for me, it kind of came as a shock that I may not have gone far enough simply because I had a blind spot created by my conscious awareness of struggling with my inner witch, when I was meant to make myself small to be acceptable and good. I would make as bad a Buddhist as a Christian. Any religion where the ego needs to be transcended and you're meant to be pure and detached from your body, I'm not a good fit. Heck, I'm not even sure I'd be a good fit for Lima but that's a story for another time. The ego is an interesting topic because everyone will come up with a different definition of what it is and what role it has in our lives. I would consider it equivalent to the conscious mind which is the meaning before Freud from the Latin for I. In metaphysics it's defined as the self that which feels, acts, or things. Archetypally, it's your sun sign. I would argue that it's the totality of your birth chart, especially if you take the modern approach and remove the layer that signifies the circumstances and events that you will face. But at the core, I believe that your sense of self is mostly created by the sun sign. And this already becomes a meta-conversation, because can the self exist independently of your experience of it? I dare say not, but this isn't a philosophy class debating Descartes' merit. Anyway, the premise of existential kink, as per the quote I read at the beginning, is radical self-acceptance of the totality of our experience, free of guilt and the need for grace in a Christian sense. I would recommend the book to anyone who has a hard time overcoming the shame over our quote unquote sinful nature, even though a lot of Christian rhetoric is about how God loves us unconditionally. I never felt that in practice was it was true, and I could spend hours unpacking this point alone. Suffice to say that As long as you externalise the source of grace, you will never be free of guilt. I'm sure many Christians would disagree, but if it's less of me and more of Jesus, like in John 3.30 and other passages, the idea is that me without Jesus is bad. If you exist as a vessel for the divine insofar as your humanity needs to disappear, in order for the divine to take over and shine through you. It may seem like you are born again as a better person, which is the premise of baptism, but it implies that what was there is bad, and that's what feeds the codependent nature of dogmatic religion. I'm sure many people have a lot more positive experience of Christianity, but I think that the system itself is created around coercive control and making you need it. I'm glad for anyone whose experience is more positive, even if they are in some ways a part of that system. But the system remains and it permeates all of Western society and to an Eastern, the, given how much of the world was colonized and how the rest of it still engages with the West on some level. So I think what Dr. Elliot talks about is really important if a goal is personal and then societal liberation. I hope that this episode made you curious about reading the book for yourself, if you haven't already, so that you can hear it all in her own words. Actually she reads the audiobook, and it's amazing, she has such a beautiful voice and I actually always like listening to audiobooks when they're by the author. But anyway, that's just me. I truly doubt that I did justice to to the book, especially since I really need to wrap up and take a nap. Anyway, I hope I managed to convey enough of its value, and I'll be back next week to talk about the asteroids and how to bring all of these that we talked about in season two about walking with light and shadow into your manifestation practice. Until then, keep living in wonder. Thank you for listening to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. A huge thank you to Jenna Sword at Jenna, S-O-A-R-D on Instagram for the cover art and Papa Planet for the music. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to be notified when a new one comes out, please subscribe on your platform of choice and if you really love it, leave a five-star rating and review, which will help me be found by more people who'll enjoy it too. Also, feel free to share it on social media and with anyone you think should give it a shot. You can send your questions and comments to my email, starryskypodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at starryskypodcast. And you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter, at witchymusings.substuff.com where I share reflections and tips about the astrological seasons. Until next time.